0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 355 of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is sponsored by Advanced Compliance Solutions, your one-stop shop for all compliance-related services. Today, I have with me John Wood. John is a partner at Hughes, Hubbard & Reed, and he represents clients in white-collar matters, including FCPA. John has had a distinguished career in all three branches of the federal government, including U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Missouri, Chief of Staff for the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, Deputy Associate Attorney General, Counselor to the Attorney General, and Deputy General Counsel for the White House Office of Management and Budget. In this episode, we take a look at recent comments by uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein about the review that is ongoing at the Department of Justice of the various prosecutorial memos that have circulated over the past 10 or 15 years, and the uh, effort by the Department of Justice to synthesize these down into firm guidance for U.S. prosecutors. John walks us through the process, the internal DOJ and governmental process for this, and it's a fascinating exploration of what the government does when it wants to uh, either revise or even simply clarify such guidance. We take a look at the Yates Memo and we explore how the current Sessions uh, Department of Justice uh, really is following the Yates Memo and will continue to follow that uh, probably uh, in the next round of um, guidance. And finally, how the individual white collar defense lawyer and more importantly, compliance practitioner can learn from the internal DOJ guidance Uh, that we assume will come out. It's a fascinating interview. John's a very knowledgeable person and I had a lot of fun talking to him about this. I know you will enjoy it. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox again back for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. Today you're in for a real treat because I have John Wood would with me, John is with Hughes Hubbard and Reed, but for our purposes, he is a former DOJer, and he's been a former Supreme Court clerk. Worked for uh, Senator John Dansforth. He has been with uh, done work with the Securities and Exchange Commission, the Office of Foreign Asset Control, the UK Serious Fraud Office, and the United Nations. Worked on the Court of Appeals, and as I mentioned, on the Supreme Court. So John with some that somewhat long-winded introduction. Uh, thank you and thanks for taking the time to visit with me today.
1: Well thank you Tom. I'm uh, honored to be part of this program.
0: So we recently had a what I thought was an interesting yet oblique announcement from the assistant attorney general that they would be looking at not only perhaps revising the Yates memo but consolidating a number of other memos within the Department of Justice around corporate and or individual prosecutions. And obviously in the compliance community, the FCPA world, that would be uh, something would be of great interest. And I was wondering what you were able to, uh, if you read tea leaves or you thought there was a substantive comment in there that might lead you to conclude where all of this might be going, John?
1: Yeah, Tom. Thanks for asking about that. I agree. It's a it's an important question, uh, and everybody's going to be awaiting uh, very eagerly the the review that the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein said is going on. So, just to give context, on uh, October six, Rod Rosenstein, the Deputy Attorney General, gave a speech at uh, New York University Law School, in which he said that uh, he was leading a comprehensive review of the Department of Justice's policies on corporate prosecutions. Uh, And so that's pretty broad. So he mentioned things that that includes would be things like the Yates Memorandum, uh, which deals with the prosecution of individual executives. He said it would include corporate monitors, the FCPA pilot program, uh, corporate investigation training programs, and the Financial Fraud Enforcement Task Force. And so people are really going to be looking to see any kind of changes that might come from the Department of Justice. Now, Rosenstein didn't give a ton of hints as far as what... Uh, the review is going to end up changing. Uh, and he may not know entirely, because he made clear that it is a, a an ongoing review involving a lot of different people at the Department of Justice. But he did give a few hints. and So i you know, thrilled to talk about those and some of the things that they might include.
0: I was wondering, John, if you might be able to start with uh, talking to us about what does it mean when the Department of Justice undergoes a comprehensive review? Is it a kind of uh, soup to nuts look at a particular issue? Is this something that happens routinely when you have a new administration? Obviously we're aware of several different memorandum on corporate and individual prosecution over the years. But um, as a civilian I've always been wondered sort of what's the process?
1: Yeah, so I think this time it's going to be a little bit different. So traditionally what it has been over the the past few administrations is that the deputy attorney general uh I think starting at least going back as far as Eric Holder when he was deputy attorney general. Not when he was attorney general, but when he was deputy attorney general under Clinton. And it may have gone back even further, but the deputy attorneys general have often released their own version of what's referred to as the principles of federal prosecution of business organizations. And so uh, Eric Holder did that under the Clinton administration. It didn't get a ton of attention back then, but what did get a lot of attention is when Larry Thompson was the deputy attorney general uh, at the beginning of Bush 43 And part of why that got so much attention is because that really coincided with the time period when corporate fraud prosecutions really spiked. It was in the wake of things like Enron and WorldCom and Arthur Anderson and all those corporate fraud uh, cases and investigations that were really, you know, on the front page of the newspapers. And so... Uh, When Larry Thompson revised uh, the memorandum, it got a lot of attention, uh, in in part because uh, he made clear that credit would be given for uh, disclosure of attorney-client privilege information. That became very controversial. Um, There was a lot of criticism uh, of uh, Larry Thompson's version of the memo uh, from uh, some organizations, from Capitol Hill, and certainly from The white collar defense bar. And so it ended up resulting in changes uh, that were then named after his successor, uh, Paul McNulty, and it became known as the McNulty Memo, which had two different kinds of uh, waivers. Of the attorney-client privilege and then different procedures for getting approval for requests for each type of waiver. Then that was um, in turn uh, replaced by what some people called the Philip memo after Mark Philip. And then it was incorporated in the U.S. Attorney's Manual. So uh, what's different about what Rod Rosenstein said that he's going to be doing is that this is a more comprehensive review. So he said he's not just going to be looking at the principles of federal prosecution of business organizations, but he's going to look more broadly at all these other policy memos that have kind of come out one at a time on various issues related to Uh, corporate investigations and corporate prosecutions. So things like the Yates memo that I mentioned before, which focuses on the prosecution of individual executives. There's a separate policy uh, on the use of corporate monitors, and the FCPA pilot program was rolled out separately. So it sounds like he's going to be looking at all of these things comprehensively and possibly trying to address them all in one place, and he indicated that he'd like to do that in the U.S. Attorney's Manual. And so it sounds like there will be some change both in terms of form and substance. In the form, it's going to be that he's going to, I think, try to bring all these different policies together in one place in the U.S. Attorney's Manual to shorten and simplify it so you can find it all in one place. Uh, but the more important issue is what kinds of substantive changes there will be. Because when he announced this uh, review back on October 6th at NYU, he said it was going to be uh, with the goal of making recommendations of the po- about the policies. Uh, so it sounds like there's going to be a change, not just in the form, but also there's going to be a review of each of these policies and maybe some substantive changes.
0: So that really would be, uh, as you suggested, John, something new and different, uh, or perhaps not different, but certainly new. And I think within the compliance community that I I work and specialize in, and then in your broader white-collar defense community, there really would be a lot of interest in uh, how the department would want to prosecute both corporations and individuals going forward. Would that be correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's you know that's sort of the big question is will the department's overall policies or priorities change with regard to corporate uh, investigations and prosecutions as well as uh, white collar individual prosecutions? And I think in general the answer is no. There's not going to be a dramatic change. I think that uh, Rod Rosenstein and his boss, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, have made clear that. Uh, white collar prosecutions and corporate investigations will remain a priority for the Department of Justice. So there was, you know, a lot of speculation, understandably, when Trump was elected, uh, because he's a businessman and, you know, everything he said sounds like he's going to be very pro business. And I think that's certainly true when it comes to regulation, that he's going to, you know, continue to push towards, uh, deregulation. But when it comes to enforcement of the the rules that are on the books. I think that under Jeff Sessions and Rod Rosenstein, the justice department is going to continue to be aggressive in terms of its investigation and prosecution of both corporations and individuals. So, uh, you know, Rod Rosenstein during that October 6th speech explained that the prosecutions of corporations have led to a, a real increase in the sophistication of Corporate compliance programs across the country. And so it's certainly signaling that he sees value in the investigation and prosecution of individual corporations uh, and not just individual executives. But with regard to individuals, you know, these executives and former executives, that's been uh, a real focus of attention since. Uh, Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates, under the Obama administration, issued what's been referred to as the Yates Memo, which has a series of key steps that the department's going to use to increase their focus on prosecutions of individuals. And Rod Rosenstein said in his speech that he agrees with the concerns that were the impetus for the Yates Memo, uh, and that he believes that just going after the companies and letting the companies uh, pay their way out of these problems by paying a big fine and then getting the individual executives off the hook, that that doesn't really work and that the best way to deter criminal activity is to go after the individuals who are responsible for the wrongdoing by the corporations.
0: So you had a lot in there, John. I guess um, uh, towards the beginning of your uh, comments uh, about the continuity in the Department of Justice, I I have said that uh, that's certainly what we have seen uh, certainly in the FCPA world and although there may, or may be some clarifications or changes in focus i'm seeing much more continuity than change from this department of justice and and i would have to say once again as a civilian looking from the outside uh in it's largely because of the professional cadre of department of justice lawyers uh Are there from administration to administration? So certainly you have change at the very top with the political appointees, but even the um, uh, numbers two and three and perhaps four are former uh, career DOJ or so, I just see a lot more uh, continuity than anything else is from kind of your perspective. Would that be correct?
1: I agree entirely. So as you point out, the you know the vast majority of the people who actually handle these cases day in and day out are career prosecutors and attorneys at the justice department, meaning that they can stay over from one administration to the next. It's only a very small sort of top layer within the justice department or that that are the so-called political or presidential appointees who change from one administration to the next. That said, those political appointees have a lot of power and influence in terms of changing the policy directions and the priorities of the Justice Department. So that's why there was a lot of interest in, you know, what will happen under the Trump administration, will there be a de-emphasis on... Corporate investigations and individual prosecutions but I think the answer is no there's not going to be any weakening of that kind of enforcement and you know keep in mind that not not only are the vast majority of the people who handle the cases on a day-to-day basis career uh, officials of the Justice Department but even the top people uh, have a real background at the Justice Department so Rod Rosenstein has been with the department for a couple of decades Uh, He served in career positions and then was a political appointee uh, in the Bush administration and then was appointed to be U.S. Attorney for Maryland by President Bush, Bush 43, but he stayed on through the entire Obama administration. And so he has you know, respect from both parties and has served under Republicans and Democrats. And then even Jeff Sessions, who obviously is best known for being a conservative Republican senator from Alabama, you know, before he uh, was elected to office, he, he had a long background at the Justice Department, having served for a couple of years as an assistant U.S. attorney In Alabama and then serving as the U.S. attorney in Alabama. So he's got a real DOJ background. And when when Sessions was U.S. attorney, that was um, during a time when there there were some uh, corporate fraud prosecutions in his district in Alabama. And so. He's even stated publicly that he thought that those prosecutions had a real deterrent effect on others who might do uh, illegal acts. And so it sounds like Jeff Sessions is personally committed to uh, corporate investigations and white-collar prosecutions.
0: So the uh, remarks by uh, Rosenstein on the effect of the corporate prosecutions, I would certainly agree, have increased both the maturity and sophistication of compliance programs, but one of the things I wanted to explore with you is the FCPA pilot program, which the Department of Justice announced in April 2016. Many in the compliance community, or at least perhaps some uh, uh, corporate types, wanted more certainty around credit that they might receive for having a Best practices compliance program in place for remediating thir- extensively after an FCPA violation for cooperating extensively with the Department of Justice and, of course, with self disclosure or self reporting. Uh, I, from where I sit, I see that program as having uh, success and was certainly gratified to see that it was at least extended. Do you have any thoughts, really one way or the other, on whether it might be extended further, uh, made permanent, and or changes that you might see uh, down the road for it?
1: Yeah, I do think it's going to be extended. Uh, One of the things that Rod Rosenstein has said is that Self disclosures have increased since the pilot program was put into place, uh, and so I took that as a signal that he's a believer in the pilot program and that it's going to continue. Because those self disclosures have huge benefits for the Justice Department. You know, they have very little uh, resource. I mean, even though as you know, anybody who follows this area knows the resources that have been devoted to the FCPA, both in terms of the the prosecution prosecutors at, at Justice the FBI agents, uh, and then the cooperation among um, different countries has increased significantly over the past decade. Nonetheless, it's still a very limited number of people that they can throw at the FCPA enforcement uh, compared to the number of companies and the complexity of these kinds of investigations. And so the Justice Department relies very heavily in many cases upon Self disclosures and cooperation from the companies because otherwise they would just be overwhelmed with the amount of work that needs to be done. And so they try very hard to encourage companies to come forward and self disclose. And then once an investigation starts to cooperate fully with the investigation so that, you know, what will often happen is that the company will hire outside counsel. To conduct a thorough investigation at the company's own expense and then the facts that are found uh, are turned over uh, to the justice department and that's really what doj wants to encourage and so i think that the pilot program will stay in effect particularly since rod rosenstein has indicated he seems to think it's working in terms of the increase in the number of self disclosures now i would point out that there could be other uh, factors that contribute to The increase in self disclosures beyond just the pilot program. Uh, That's not to say that the pilot program didn't have any impact, but I think there could be other factors as well. And one of it is, one factor is, I think companies are increasingly concerned uh, that whistleblowers within the company will come forward and go to the government with information. Uh, And that there are a lot more incentives now for that than there used to be, particularly with the Dodd-Frank whistleblower provisions. And so the significance of that is if there is a greater risk that uh, an employee is going to go to the government and share the information, that changes the calculus somewhat for the companies in deciding whether or not they should self-disclose. Because one of the biggest questions in determining whether to self-disclose is what are the odds that you're going to get caught if you don't self-disclose? Uh, and if there's an increased probability that an employee will end up going to the government, uh, particularly if that employee can collect a huge windfall by doing so, then that's one of the many factors that the company has to take into account in deciding whether or not to self-disclose.
0: It's certainly a tricky subject and lots of moving parts, and uh, certainly from where I sit, the um, enthusiasm around the pilot program, I think, has led companies to make that decision, as as uh, I had not heard that uh, previously uh, or had missed that part from the Rosenstein comments that self-disclosures have increased, but that certainly benefits the Department of Justice. In my mind, it benefits companies uh, for receiving a reduced, or at least the potential for a reduced fine and penalty. Uh, let me maybe step back a minute, John, and and I've read most of the memos you've highlighted, the original Holder memo, the Thompson memo, the Phillips memo, the McNulty memo, and then the Yates memo. And one of the things that struck me is that the Department of Justice listens to its critics. Uh, Some of the memos seem to be in response to criticisms or at least critiques from outside groups. I would point particularly to the changes after the Thompson memo. Uh, But it's really a uh, the department really is is trying to work with its constituents us and you know the people of the United States to come up with a, a memorandum and policies and procedures that really benefits anyone would how does that statement strike you
1: I think that's true I think the Justice Department does listen to the criticism uh, I think they also are very concerned about any kind of congressional intervention and so I think its some points the changes that they make in response to criticism are intended to head off possible legislation because the Justice Department really doesn't want to have Congress interfering in DOJ's uh, setting of policies and practices. And so, for example, you know, you mentioned the Thompson memo being controversial uh, in that it seemed to call for waivers of the attorney-client privilege as part of the effort to get cooperation credit. And that was criticized a lot. And there were some rumblings on Capitol Hill about legislation to possibly overturn that and to limit the Justice Department's ability to request attorney-client privilege waivers. And so that kind of thing is part of what I think motivated uh, the McNulty memo, which uh, put in place more stringent procedures for requesting waivers of the attorney-client privilege, and similarly, I think you know, with regard to uh, corporate compliance monitors, there were hearings and some controversy regarding the Zimmer mo- monitorship, in which uh, then U.S. Attorney Chris Christie in New Jersey had appointed his former boss, attorney, former Attorney General John Ashcroft, to be. Uh, an independent monitor. And so there was some criticism of that process for selecting the monitor. And so there was talk of uh, possible legislation to change that and to limit DOJ's discretion. And I think, you know, in part because of that, but I also think that this effort was underway anyway, because of the increase in the number of and frequency of monitors that the justice department decided on its own and wanted to try to uh, sort of regularize the process. And it ended up uh, releasing uh, what was, I think called the Morford memo originally, which set out the policies and the procedures for appointing uh, independent compliance monitors.
0: So the um, with the, really that now we're running up on the first year of, or at least the, The last quarter of the first year of the Trump administration, the Sessions uh, leadership at the um, Department of Justice, um, with all the other things that are going on in the Trump administration, I I would have to say the Department of Justice has really been, as I said earlier, more continuity than anything else. And that, uh, frankly, that's what I would expect going forward. Would that be your sense as well?
1: It is. Uh, You know, there really has been, in terms of the actual workings of the Justice Department, a tremendous amount of continuity. You know, that's not what you see when you read the newspapers. You know, a few uh, weeks ago, everything in the newspapers was about, you know, President Trump tweeting and criticizing his own attorney general and questions about whether the attorney general would even survive because he'd recused himself uh, from the Russia investigation uh, but despite all of that, I think that there's really been a lot of continuity uh, in the Justice Department. Uh, and so I agree. And you know, particularly on these issues we've been talking about, I see uh, not a lot of changes. I think there'll be some tweaks, and we'll look at those very carefully. But I think the overall emphasis on uh, investigation and prosecution of corporations, as well as individual executives, that's going to continue. Now, there have been some changes, you know, it's been noteworthy that uh in other areas, like for example, the Solicitor General uh, changed the Department of Justice's position in a, a Supreme Court case involving the uh, uh, the baker who refused to make a cake for a same-sex couple that was getting married. You know, right. That kind of thing. So there have been changes in some individual uh, cases, as well as some policy changes within the Justice Department. But in the areas that we're talking about, corporate prosecutions and white-collar prosecutions, I see a lot more continuity than change.
0: So, John, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. I've been visiting with John Wood, partner at Hughes, Hubbard & Reed. We've had a fascinating discussion on, I guess, the topic has become uh, more continuity than change at the Department of Justice under uh, Jeff Sessions. So, John, thanks again, and I look forward to continuing the conversation after the next memo is released. This is Tom Fox again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would greatly help in our rankings. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Finally, I hope you will join us next week for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network.